Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome to a very special episode here on Three Spooked Girls. Most of you know we do for our like $10 and up patrons, we do patron select episodes. But this time it seems to be a little different because our $10 patron is actually the wife of someone who's on the episode this week. Mm-hmm. So if you are a $50 and up patron or there's no up, but like if you're a $50 level patron a month, you get to actually come and be on an episode with us. And so everyone say hi to Kelly. Yay. Hi, guys. And for Minneapolis, I do have to give a shout out to my stepdaughters because they are trying to sleep right now while I'm recording this. So I said I'd do a shout out to uh, Sophie and Amelia. Oh, that's so cute. This is your husband Jason's pick. Oh, yeah. I made him sign up for it. (laughs) I'm like, they're so close to 75 patrons. You need to sign up. Like, you're going to be that person. (laughs) Like, when I say picked, I mean, like, Kelly picked the topic for him. (laughs) Yes. But if you don't know who we are, and this is your first episode, my name is Tara. And the one that introed our lovely episode is Jessica. So there you go, guys. Hey, sorry about that. I got really excited, guys. You know me. Like new shiny things. And I'm like, ooh, let's let's not focus. Mm-hmm. It's my life. It's Tara's life. She deals with that. That's what I'm here for. So this week, typically we don't talk drinks on these episodes, but I have a very special drink. I am finishing off birthday wine that Kelly and Tara sent me for my birthday. So I'm drinking the Wild Berry. It's from Bear Creek. It's flipping delicious. Oh, I'm actually my girlfriend that used to live in Alaska. I'm going to go see her in Denver in a couple of weeks. So I'm like, I might have to get some Bear Creek winery sent down here real quick. <laughs> yes. I'm drinking the Bones Coffee Maple Bacon Coffee, and I'm drinking it also in my Canada mug that I got when we moved Ooh. here. Ooh. <laughs> Look at you. I know. No one knows what the topic is, and Tara's like, just dropping little hints. They'll see the title. It's fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's very true. Uh-huh. And then, Kelly, are you drinking anything fun or special? So I am drinking out because I'm ready for Halloween. My bad and boozy ghost cup. I did post it on the group. Mm. I am drinking some Pinot Grigio. It was a $10 bottle at Costco. That is a very big bottle and I love it. So that's what we're going with tonight. You gotta love Costco wines because it's like they're the bottles are a little bigger and you're just like, hmm, I'm gonna have you for like longer. For sure. Oh, yeah. So today, if you haven't read the title and you just somehow like clicked on and didn't know what was going on, our topic for the day is the Great Maple Syrup Heist. And let me tell you, when this came across that I was going to be able to do this episode, I was so excited. (laughs) I was like, what? I don't know what this is. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing I have ever, ever like researched. Oh, yes, I know. I cannot wait to hear about this. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I had a really hard time not just like telling Tara about it. I was like, Tara, oh my God. Like every time I'd learn something new, I'd be like, Tara, oh my God. <laughs> She'd be like, calm down. It's true. <laughs> but I didn't tell her. All I can say is maple syrup mafia. <laughs> you say enough. <laughs> it's so great. So I'm going to dive in and I'm going to do a little bit of background information because I feel like if I just went in and like told you guys the story, you would be like, Oh, that (laughs) seems weird. So in 1966, basically a group of maple syrup producers came together and were like, we should form something. And they called it a planned collective marketing of maple syrup. And they're going to create this organization that was going to help them be able to sell maple syrup to the world better. And they created in the English version is the Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup producers, because this is specifically to the province of Quebec, which apparently has most of the maple syrup in the world being, is it grown? I don't know. On tap? Because it's, you know, the trees? I don't know. (laughs) Because like, this is where my thought went was like, the trees grow. And by the way, this is like some Riverdale shit. Ooh. Like, let's be real here. I'm so excited. Like this first, I was like, oh, you know, the Blossoms would be all up in this business. They would be like the head of this. Oh, they probably were. So they, the Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers, or the acronym is FPCA because the French translation of it, I cannot say, and I'm not going to try to say because I feel like that's rude to the French language. It is also known as OPEC, and basically they came together and it was to help them. And if you watch, there's a Netflix like docu-series called Dirty Money, and there's an episode on this. This one guy talks about like how his dad was like one of the founding members of this, Mm -hmm. like how everything was changing because of the Federation. It's like, I want to say the intention of this Federation makes a lot of sense in the fact that like, yeah, if everyone came together and sold it and like there were reserves made, like people could survive, but like people get greedy. True. Flash forward to 1989, the collective, now the Federation, has made agreements and that you must be like, it's not a law, but it's like the rule that you must be in the Federation to sell maple syrup, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, this is crazy. (laughs) They take it seriously. (laughs) And every time I said Federation, like all I could think of was like Star Wars, Mm -hmm. the first three episodes. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) So they set up policies, they negotiated sales strategies, like basically they were doing what they said that they were going to do, except for they added on that you had to be in the Federation to sell. I look at it like if you own like a roadside stand and you sold maple syrup directly from your trees to a consumer, you didn't have to do it. Mm -hmm. But anyone who was selling in bulk, and at this time it was just a suggestion, well, it was like their rule, but you had to be part of the Federation and you had to turn over your entire harvest to the Federation. Hmm. So it's not like you could just give a little bit and keep some for yourself. Mm-hmm. You had to turn it all over. And the Federation in return would inspect it for taste and creative syrup, which sounds good because I'm pretty sure you probably have to pay people to do that. So if the Federation was doing it, you save in money. So I want to be one of those taste testers, son. Like, <laughs> I enjoy maple syrup. Like, who wants to make me some pancakes and I'll try it. I feel like as Americans, we don't understand maple syrup because like one of the big things that they kept saying in like every article about this is like Americans don't understand maple syrup because it's not like Buttersworth or Aunt Jemima or any of that. That is processed (laughs) poo-poo. It's not good. (laughs) 
you can get like Canadian maple syrup in the United States, but like what people typically like go, oh, I want maple syrup for my pancakes. They grab like the cheap imitation stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm, no, I agree with you on that one. And, uh, watching them tap things and like watching the it drip out and then like knowing what a sugar shack really is. I was like, oh, it's just a place where they make syrup. Like that sounded super dirty for everything else I've ever heard. I was like, oh, they just make syrup in it. <laughs> so you went dirty with it. And I went like Hansel and Gretel, like legit sugar shack. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because the reason I thought Sugar Shack was because of like when we did Moundsville. That's true. And we talked about it like that was the place I'm pretty sure people went and like got all rapey on people. So like my mind was like, ooh, they have Sugar Shacks? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica went really dark there. (laughs) I did. My bad. So at this point, the Federation controls the maple syrup industry pretty much. And they also, at this time, developed something known as the International Strategic Reserve, which is basically, like I said, you had to give all of your harvest to the Federation, and they would just rent out warehouses and store your syrup that they didn't put out. Because what they also would do is control the flow, or like how I kind of liken it to is like you're a tomato farmer and you sold your tomatoes to like Hunt's. Mm-hmm. And then they do that, except for the Federation was like the middle person. So it'd be like if someone came in and was like, you have to give us all your tomatoes and then we'll sell it to Hunts. Mm-hmm. So this International Strategic Reserve, also known as the Global Maple Syrup Reserve, they would store them like so they would sell some immediately and then they would store some in these warehouses. And then let's say you had a bad year, then they would like sell your reserve. So in in a way, if you're part of the Federation, you could technically keep making money year after year, even if you had a bad crop year. And in exchange, the Federation would only take $54 a barrel, which is pretty cheap. But let's not get twisted. The Federation is a government-sanctioned cartel. That is its official disclaimer. So it controls everything. Who would have thought we'd be talking about maple syrup here? Right. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Especially when we start talking about the people that are involved. And later you're like, oh, that's all he did? Okay. And so basically the ISR, which is the International Strategic Reserve, controls 77% of the global maple syrup industry. Hmm. And this is going to like change y'all's life for a second because this I was like, wait, what? A barrel of maple syrup can be worth anywhere from $1,200 to $2,000, which is basically roughly about $2.88 per pound, which is 10 to 18 times the value of crude oil. What the fuck? We need to go do that, Jessica. Right. Like, we are living in the wrong country (laughs) and we are doing the wrong things. Tara, don't you have, like, maple trees up by you? You could do this in Alaska. Yeah, you could. (laughs) I'm going to research that. If we do, that's what we do (laughs) it. There's your side job. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. So, and because they control all this, you have to be an authorized buyer or seller to be part of the Federation as well. There are 13,500 maple syrup producers in Quebec. Each of them have to be permitted and they have to send a fixed amount to the Federation each year, which makes it harder for like smaller producers to make a living. And some families, like I watched this video on YouTube and it was very sad because it was this guy and he's like, my parents did this and I did this. And it's like generational. And he's like, if I don't make enough money this year through the Federation, I'm going to have to sell my farm. Mm. And I was like, that's so sad. That is so, so sad. And you know someone in the Federation is just going to be like, oh, he has to sell. These are my trees now. So I think that's also a conspiracy is that like the Federation is out there to like actually get 
more land and trees. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, just to clarify, we're only talking about Quebec right now. Yes, because everywhere else is a free market. Okay. So pre-heist or what led up to the heist is in early 2000s, basically the Federation knew what to do. They are like tobacco lobbyists, but literally better, actually. And they got it into law that you had to be like you had to buy and sell within the Federation if you were in Quebec and you were a maple syrup producer. And it also in that law said that the Federation could seize syrup from private producers. So even if you were a mom and pop shop, if you had like amazing product, they could come in and be like, oh, no, just kidding, mine. And they could do this at any time. And they just would quote some weird regulation that they had. And they would also on top of that, end up suing you for not following the Federation's guidelines. Mm, assholes. Okay. So not only do you lose your product, which would help you like be able to live, you're also being taken to court and being sued for money. Because they were like getting all of this maple syrup in, they had to start leasing warehouses in rural parts of Quebec. And a lot of times these were owned by like private individuals, not corporations. So we're talking like basically unregulated. No cameras. Like they didn't come in and go, okay, we're leasing this. You need to install like security cameras or stuff like that. None of it. They were just like, here's our white barrels that barely have any logo. Like they have zero logos on them. They only have like a sticker that says like where it came from so that when they sell it, they can be like, oh, we need to pay this person. Yeah. Because that's how it works is that the Federation sells it for you and then gives you your money minus $54. And I'm wondering if that $54 is like per year because I feel like that's really low. Yeah, I do too. But like it's per barrel. But even still. I still think they would do like per barrel per year because I'd be like if that maple syrup's out there for four years, it's a little bit more that they could put in their pocket. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like whiskey. It ages with time. (laughs) It's better. (laughs) By the way, there is such thing as the black market of maple syrup sales. I was like, when I read that, I was like, so black market isn't for babies and kidneys? Like, there's for maple syrup? (laughs) (laughs) So some buyers and sellers decided that they were going to be like, F you to the Federation. They were going to go off on their own and not like adhere to the law. And so a lot of times they would get people who are outside of Quebec and they would sell directly to them and then like sneak it out. And then that person would like resell it. And there's a guy in here who like gets punished. And I'm like, oh, all he did was resell. Like, stop being dicks. He didn't know that shit was stolen. (laughs) Or did he? I hope not. He seems really nice. So you're like, get to the crime, Jessica. Like you've talked about the back story so much. (laughs) So on August 24th, happy birthday, Eric. August 24th, 2012, Inspector Michelle Grouveau, I'm saying that wrong, it's okay, was climbing up what I consider a mountain of barrels, but they called it a stack, and nearly fell off or into the barrels. Mind you, the barrels normally weigh 600 pounds. Damn. He basically like fell and when he sturdied himself on the top of it, he like hit the side of the barrel and it thudded like when you hit like a big metal object that's empty. Right. And he's like, what? And so they open the barrel and there's no syrup in it. (laughs) And they're like, what? So they start quickly going through all of these things and they found all of these that are like empty. But they don't only just find ones that are empty. They find ones that are filled with water. Smart. So it gave some weight. Right. So, fun side note, my wedding anniversary is August 24th. (laughs) Happy anniversary, Kelly. Oh, my God. That makes it perfect. (laughs) 
So between June 2011 and August 2012, about 10,000 barrels were stolen full. So it was like the exact number is 9,751 barrels were stolen. That is nearly 540,000 gallons of syrup. That's so much money's worth, too. Holy shit. Yeah, that's $18.7 million worth of maple syrup. Holy shit. It's literally that much for, like, tree sugar. (laughs) That's what we're looking at here, people. And they had taken about 12.5% of that facility's reserves. Fuck. Right. So here is the theft and how it worked. Like I said earlier, the syrup is stored in barrels that are unmarked. They're white. They are only inspected once a year. So when Inspector Michelle was like up there, not trying not to fall down, that's the one time it was being done. And who knows like if it was done before June of 2011 and then they started. The thieves would take the barrels out while nobody was watching, like at night, essentially. And they they would take it to a remote sugar shack, which was owned by like one of the people, like was in one of the families. Yeah. And they would siphon out the maple syrup and then take it to a creek, like a nearby creek or river and fill it with water and then return it, kind of clean it, quote unquote, kind of clean it, and then put it back in the facility. Sounds like a moonshining experiment. (laughs) Right. This is the kind of stuff you're like, this is what they used to pull like during prohibition. When you told me about this, I didn't realize it was so recent. (laughs) I was really surprised by that. I was like, okay, this is from like 100 years ago. No, bitch. No, it's not. (laughs) No, it's from this decade. No. (laughs) It's literally from like nine or like eight years ago. Fucking crazy. (laughs) Eventually, the group of thieves got lazy and they would just start siphoning the syrup right there in the facility and they never spilt. Um, That was something they were very proud of. (laughs) (laughs) And they would just not put water in the barrel. And that's how they had empty barrels, which is how they got caught. This is just like a note for everyone. If you're going to be stealing thousands of pounds of maple syrup or thousands and thousands of gallons of maple syrup, don't be lazy. True. You could even like put like a ton of sugar in water and put that back in there. And like the longer it set, it would like just look like the syrup went bad. True. I'm a better thief than them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not stealing maple syrup. I live in California. We don't have (laughs) maple. So on December 18th, kind of the 20th of 2012, they arrested 17 people. Now it's related to this theft. Not all of these people would even be like convicted, charged or whatever. As soon as this happened, they did create a task force. And my God, do they know how to create a task force in Canada because they had 250 investigators on this and it was made up of local police, Royal Mounties and U.S. Custom Agents. So they had like all of it. They questioned 300 people. They executed over 40 warrants and they were looking for things like fingerprints to match against fingerprints on the barrels because mind you... They got lazy, and if they weren't dunking it in the river, they were leaving fingerprints on that shit. So they were they found that. They found marks from forklifts because they would, like, paint over the marks when they would put them back. But, like, they could just be like, well, this isn't consistent. Mm-hmm. And as the investigation went on, they're like, this has to be an inside job. Because, like, how would they know, like, when people are here and when people are not here? Yes, there's no security cameras, but, like, you don't know when people are going to drop things off. And it was it seemed like the way they made it talk, it was like that it was very irregular. It was like, oh, I'm a producer and I'm just going to come drop my stuff off. Well, I mean, who would ever think to steal maple syrup to sell the black market? 
I think that's also like why they were like, well, when they asked the people like, well, why is there no security here? And they're like, who's going to steal maple syrup? Exactly. (laughs) So they assumed it was a tenant renting a space in the same facility because they would have like access to keys, ID cards, and it would give them a reason to be there. So like if the police rolled up to like, like, what are you doing? Or like security, they'd be like, well, I rent that space. So I'm supposed to be here. Basically, they whittled it down to five main suspects, and I'm going to introduce you to them now. Forgive me in advance for my mispronunciations. Our first guy is Richard Valliers. He's the accused ringleader. He is a known black market seller, and he supposedly, and this is the part, like I was watching this video and I was like, oh shit. He supposedly has worked for the Fed in the past selling excess on the black market to make money for the reserve or make money for the Federation. Wow. So they were kind of like, oh, wait, he knows these people? Oh, it's him. (laughs) His father, Raymond, is also into this. He owned the Rural Sugar Shack, supposedly, quote unquote. By the way, he was also found in possession of maple syrup that he couldn't explain how he got. Can I just say something real fast? Yeah. When you were saying that, I don't know why I expected you to say like marijuana or something, not fucking maple (laughs) syrup. (laughs) Right. Like, I just keep thinking like these like people come to the door and they're like, let me see your maple syrup. And it's like, you know, like the part in like, what's that movie? Oh, in the part in the first um, Super Troopers where like they catch the three guys in the car. And I'm just like, what? Like, I equate that to, like, put the bottles, like, under the seat. Like, I don't want maple syrup. No. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) So Raymond is, like, found with this, like, maple syrup. Mind you, he's found with maple syrup. But there is a fun fact that you can't tell. I'm Okay. Like, they're like, you can't tell what maple comes from what tree. And I'm like, I think that's kind of bullshit. Because probably on some molecular level, you could probably, like, narrow it down. But we're talking, like, 540,000 gallons of maple syrup they're not going to test that to be like oh it came from this tree and they don't know whose they stole so there was a lot of work involved so they were like where did you get this maple syrup and he's like uh like i'm probably sure he just probably said uh and they were like you're guilty (laughs) it's kind of what this sounds like and then comes the next person his name is etienne saint pierre and I know how to say Etienne because of the fact that when I was in elementary school, there was a kid in my class named Etienne Brochu, and our teacher made us practice saying his name right so that we wouldn't be mean. Aw, that's awesome. Good on that teacher. Yeah. When I saw it, I was like, I know how to say that name. <laughs> <laughs> so Etienne was a New Brunswick-based maple syrup reseller. He's the guy I talked about a little earlier. He would buy maple syrup from producers in Quebec and sell it in New Brunswick and Ottawa because they were both free markets. And basically, they were like, you're breaking the laws and the rules. And I think the Federation was just like, how do we get rid of this man? Like, what do I do to get this man fired? That's pretty much what it was. Like, they wanted to get him arrested. The next person was Avec Karen. I love that his name is almost Karen. (laughs) So his spouse owned the facility, and he was connected to all the major players in this. And by the way, he had already been convicted of a fraud charge because he basically tried to say that a car got stolen when it hadn't been stolen. And they were like, dude, no. Mm. You're trying to commit insurance fraud. There's the car. (laughs) Like, that guy. (laughs) And in my opinion, even though like Richard was named the ringleader, I'm pretty sure it was Avec. He was the ringleader, in my opinion, at least came up with the idea of it. Mm. 
I think Richard's the dick in this. I'm just saying. I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> a little bit. And then it comes to our final player is Sebastian Justaris. I don't think I'm saying that wrong. He also goes by, I guess, Spencer sometimes, depending on who he like who he's talking to. He is a truck driver who, by the way, knew both Avak and Richard and was the one who connected the two. Basically, Avak was like, hey, Sebastian, do you know anyone who sells maple syrup on the black market and i think the black market in quebec is so commonplace that people are like yeah i know someone who sells it on the black market is that dude mm-hmm, probably so he's the one who drove the truck but also was stupid enough to be get caught because he rented the damn forklift that moved the barrels but he did it in his own name <laughs> he didn't come up with, a, with an alias so you're probably like what happened to the syrup because that's a lot of syrup well they recovered a lot of it that's good. They basically like the police worked with the people in the black market and probably were like, we'll let this go if you tell us who stole this maple syrup. And they found it. So uh, this is allegedly how it all went down. Basically, Avak was like, I have barrels in this warehouse my spouse owns and I I have an idea. Let's sell it on the black market and make a lot of money. And he asked Sebastian. Sebastian's like, oh, here's Richard Valier's number. Call him. The two of them came up with a plan. I think everyone knew who Etienne was. I think they were like, oh, he's the dude from New Brunswick who will sell our maple syrup if we get it to him. Then what they do is they do their plan of like taking it to the remote sugar shack and doing the whole like switcheroo for the water. And then they sell the syrup to Etienne. Etienne exports it in the dead of night because that's what everyone keeps saying is that it happened like they would get out of Quebec at night. And then he resells it. However, when they go to court, Richard's like, uh, yeah, so I did this. But like, really why I did it is because this dude, this guy I don't know, I can't tell you who it is, came up to me with a gun and was like, you're going to sell maple syrup on the black market. And that's why I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this happened for over a year. So did this, like, dude just, like, keep showing up? And at what point do you not call the police to be like, this guy keeps showing up with a gun and demanding I steal syrup? (laughs) Also, when they went to court, Etienne was like, you cannot prove that this maple syrup came from there. And they were like, just kidding. Mind you, the Federation went to New Brunswick, which is a completely different area of Canada, and was like, uh, you broke our laws. We're going to take all your fucking syrup and we're going to take it back to Quebec. And that's why when they were like, they got back a large amount. I was like, no, they just stole all of like Etienne's syrup. They were like, this is how we recovered it. This is ours now. Bye. <laughs> and they were like, they didn't put them in barrels. Like I, every time I would see them like looking into his stuff, he had those like aquaponic big ass hundred gallon, like, I don't know giant ass gallons of like you put them in water for like i don't know it's a farm thing that's all i can think of yeah you see them in back of trucks with like water in them type thing yeah 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 Mm -hmm. yeah everyone else is like i have no idea what jessica's talking about (laughs) it's fine and so they would like take those from him i was like damn okay so basically they go to court and it's really kind of uneventful because like the Federation is like, mm, you did this. You can't even fight this. So let's start with the person who gets the least amount to the person who gets the most amount. So Raymond is charged and convicted of possession of stolen goods. I don't know how much time he gets. I'm pretty sure it's probably just like, OK, bad guy. 
Sebastian serves eight months for his role in the theft and conspiracy to commit fraud. But because he like literally like I watched his interview and they were like, so you're going to tell us the truth. And he's like, uh, um, no promises. But then literally told them the truth. I was like, oh, you played such hardball, Sebastian. Etienne served two years of home imprisonment and had to pay a fine of $1.3 million, which is, I'm like, what the fuck? That's a lie. Right? You took all his syrup. How is he supposed to pay your ass? <laughs> figure it out. Figure it out. Right? Avec was sentenced to six years in prison plus a $1.2 million fine. And then our boy, Richard. In April of 2017, he was sentenced to eight years in prison plus a $9.4 million fine. But there is an asterisk to this. If he cannot pay it back, and I'm pretty sure it's like within the eight years, he will be given an extra 14 years of sentencing. Wow. Ooh. And it's crazy because like this is a whole thing. Like there's this, there's this lawyer up there who like fights for all the, the people. It's funny. He's like when you go to parties and they ask you what you like, what you do, and you say you're a maple syrup lawyer, they all laugh at you because basically he's like fighting the entire government because like, for instance, they went and were like, hey, you can't seize this stuff. It's against the law. You can't do this. And the Supreme Court in Quebec were like, you're right. We can't do that. And then seven months later, this is how powerful the Federation is. Seven months later, the Supreme Court ruled new laws that were like, oh, we can do this. Wow. Right? Hmm. I was like, what is happening? And then <laughs> other favorite things. So there's this like, if you watch the Dirty Money one, that episode is really good. It's season one, episode five. It's available on Netflix. It's really great because they like tell you a lot about it. And like the one guy who's like, oh, the Federation is amazing. I'm like, mm, is it? Because you're, this started in 1966 and you're just now saying you can support your family on it. Also, when you see Richard in this, you're like, oh, yeah, you kind of look like a bad guy. You kind of look like you should be, like, running a more dangerous crime. When I saw his mustache, I found more pedophile, personally. But that's just me. Right. No, like, I was like, he is, like, if you saw just a picture of him and you were like, what crime did he commit? You'd be like, sex trafficking, drugs, gun runner. And then it's like, no. Maple syrup theme. <laughs> <laughs> so that really brings it to the end of the great maple heist, maple syrup heist. I am so glad that you brought this to our attention because otherwise I would have lived a long time before this ever fell into my lap. Dude, yeah. That was great. It was amazing. It's one of those things. There's so much going on right now. I'm like, we need something fun. Mm -hmm. You know what? I just can't wait. Like they've made like some other like other podcasts on it and there's been some other documentaries or like dateline typey things i cannot wait till they make like either a a lifetime movie of this shit yeah or b they just make a movie of it and like there are so many people like that should be in this movie and they they should just make it like all canadian actors be so great so that's going to wrap it up for us today. If you would like your own episode dedicated to you, like we dedicated this to Jason, but really it's to Kelly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I picked it for him. <laughs> <laughs> Then you can just, you can sign up to be a $10 patron. And we want to say a big and special thank you to Kelly. You support us in so many different ways. And we love you. And we are excited that you got to do this. This was a lot of fun. Definitely. Mm -hmm. This was definitely the highlight of my week. I'm like, I'm so excited for it. Aww. 
Oh, yay. <laughs> I'm so glad. So people know I do post about Grasco and he is looking at me and judging me right now. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to wrap it up and we will see you on our next episode on Monday. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.